tell it like it is from the lens of keeping it real. I am very excited today. Our special guest today is Miss Lavetta Levels. Miss Levels is an award-winning and well-known and widely known educator, and she is the owner of Higher Levels Educational Group. Hello, Miss Levels. Hello, hello. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for being the first guest on the Educators View. And I'm I'm really excited that you are here because you do a lot of mentoring and help guide and build educators. So as we get started, will you please share with the audience things about yourself? Sure. I have a 30-plus year experience educator. Um, I start off as a teacher. I taught um, high school, college, um, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And then from there, I went into administration. I actually worked as a specialist at a local forming campus in an urban school district and worked with them, worked directly in coaching, when the classroom coaching teachers, building their toolkits. Um, then from there, I became an assistant principal um, at a high school. And I was there for two years. And then I became principal. I was an elementary principal. I was there for six, seven years. Then I went back to central office as a specialist. And I was recruiting bilingual teachers from across the country and abroad, Mexico, including Mexico. did a lot of recruiting in Mexico. We would hire about 300 teachers every year, 300 bilingual teachers. And that's the hiring part, but we would probably go through the process of about 500 or 600 from the application stage to going through visas and training and getting transcripts and all that and interviewing. And But we would ultimately hire about 300 bilingual teachers and take them through the training and then provide them support in the classroom. Then I was moved over into a director position working with federal programs um, and learned a lot in that position and uh, learned a lot about uh, inequities and diversity and um, funding and federal and state funding. I learned a lot about funding. Um, stayed in that position for about a year and I was promoted to assistant superintendent. And that's where I was for the last 15 years. I did spend 10 months as superintendent uh, during that tenure. Um, so I spent the the last 50% of my career was I was assistant superintendent. So I've had a great, I had a great uh, a tenure. And then I continue back to working um, at the um, uh, collegiate level as, an, as a professor. So I enjoy that. Um, in 2006, I had an opportunity to mentor principals. And in order for me to do that through the Texas Education Agency, I needed to establish my consulting company, and I did. And so in 2006, I, I developed and created um, my, my company, Higher Levels Educational Group. So I'm celebrating 15 years of owning and operating my small business. It's very small. Some years are larger than others. I do... Uh, professional development work, but the but the majority of my work has been with executive mentoring. So I've mentored aspiring administrators, teachers, superintendents, um, a variety, some not even in education, 
Uh, so I've mentored a variety of people and have been blessed to witness their um, personal and professional success, um, which we define within our mentoring agreements and in our goal setting. And so um, that's sort of me and that's sort of what I've been doing. Well, the, the thing that I'm going to say is, wow, <laughs> no wonder you are an award-winning educator and a well-known educator. The question that comes to my mind first is when you talked about those low-performing schools, mm-hmm. that's something that we hear about a lot. Mm-hmm. What is it that you want to educate us about "Quote unquote low performing school." Well, I, there's a there's a lot of research out there about low performing schools. You know, the research always tells you you're going to start with leadership. I mean, let's let's start with okay. We're, if we if sorry, I've been designated low performing. One of the things we, when we look at turnaround models and we look at turn around, turning around a school or a community, then we're going to start with leadership. We're going to see what type of leadership do we have at the helm. Um, we're going to look at the quality of instruction because the kids are the kids. That's the one thing I want people to understand. The kids are the kids. And so what we have to do is understand if the students aren't learning, then what are we doing in our teaching? What are we doing in our instruction for the kids not to learn? Or, you know, what what systems do we have in place that can ensure that our students are going to be more academically successful? So we're going to look at systems and procedures. We're going to look at consistency, quality instruction. But again, we're going to start with that leader and and make sure that that leader understands their role and make sure that that leader is out there um, providing the support that the instructors need and at that campus. The educator's view is about empowering. That's the reason that I excited to have guests that are going to tell it like it is okay from the lens of keeping it real if i am a parent or a teacher or a staff member and i have some questions about are those things in place that leadership that those systems that consistency what recommendation would you give how to broach that topic if you are a teacher at that campus, you already know the answers. Because teachers, they are the first line responders. And they already know what's missing. And they know if they're receiving the support that they need. They already know without any without you even telling me, you remember those teachers that were high performing at your campus. You remember those teachers, you have to carry those teachers. You know, you have to make sure your scores were high enough so the whole grade level can make it, you know? So you knew you already know those things. So as a teacher, that is a candid conversation. But we have to create a space where people are comfortable in a non-threatening space so that we can have the conversations. We can have the conversations, but there's work to do as well. And also, we have to come from a mindset. So before we can have a conversation, before we can do the work, we have to ensure that we create a, a space, we, we're creating a culture, and also a mindset, a mindset of growth, a mindset of self-accountability, a mind of mutual accountability, and also mutual respect, and also um Understand that we all, it's a, collabor- it's a collaboration. It's a collaborative partnership. 
education is a collaborative partnership. I agree that I'm going to come do my best and you agree that you're going to do your best as a student or you're going to do your best as a teacher or as a, as a principal or as an aide or as a specialist. We all, we all collectively agree that we're going to come and do our best. And so that's the collaboration. And would that be a similar recommendation that you would have for parents or anyone who may have those same concerns? I would say to anyone, do your homework first. Do your homework. First do your homework. Know what you're talking about. Because often we hear things at the beauty shop. We hear at the church. We hear at the grocery store. We hear at the basketball game. We're at the PTA meeting. Miss such and such and such and such. I heard this school, blah, 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 blah. Do your homework and get your facts. And I'm going to always say start with your principal first. Allow your principal to answer whatever questions you ever have. Wow, thank you. And that is something that higher levels educational group can help people with. And we will have information on how we can connect with you and participate in your mentoring and your in your programs and services to help. The next thing I wanted to talk about was when you mentioned having opportunity to work with inequities diversity Mm -hmm. and funding Mm -hmm. so that's something that we often recognize is happening i mean we're not even going to have to dive dig too deep to find an example of such in just our common everyday life it's it's very apparent Mm -hmm. but in the educational system sometimes it seems like that's just part of the educational system Mm -hmm. so what can you share with us about each of those individuals, the inequities, what does that exactly mean? Mm-hmm. The Let's, diversity and mm-hmm. funding, what does that mean? Okay. And then additionally, for each of those, what can we do? Okay. L- let me tell you about some work I've done here recently. Again, Higher Levels Educational Group as a consultant, I've worked with Delta Research Education and Foundation, DREF. And through DREF, they started a teacher efficacy campaign five years ago. And their, their mind, their, their thinking is that if we want to improve the quality instruction in classrooms, we have to build the capacity and the efficacy of teachers. So that's the first place we started. So for two years, we worked with about 200 teachers from across the country. And we flew into Orlando, Florida, for the, for we flew them twice a year for this training and we trained them on on implicit on implicit biases on culture, culturally relevant teaching on utilizing technology in the classroom classroom management um, and also ensuring that students are math and reading literate so we focused on those five areas we did that for two years and the data um, showed how how greatly improved all of those teacher participants were so much so i mean the teachers who were who were in that program are now some are now principals some are now assistant principals they've they've been um accelerated through their careers and it's because they talk about how in that two-year training program they became more efficacious in that professional development when teachers are more efficacious that takes away inequities. Too often, the research tells us that in underserved, 
black and brown schools, the least experienced teachers are found. You find experienced teachers in non-black and brown communities. You find higher retention rates in non-black and brown communities. You find teachers with um, with terminal degrees, doctor degrees, master's degrees in the non-brown and black communities. So therefore, the premise is that if you build the capacity of educators, you are taking a step toward alleviating the educational inequities and the uh, disparities of the educational experiences from those, those marginalized students. Now, when you talk about, so that's been my experience. So I did that with, with, with uh, DTEC and DREF, and I've continued the work. We then took the work a little bit further. So you start talking about the money and the inequity in the money. We know that there's a common denominator across the country, and that's federal funding. Federal funds goes to all school districts, right? So that's typically, you've got your ESSA, ESSA policy that says that we have pub, pub, public schools in every school district, in every state. That's your ESSA. I mean, that's your um, elementary uh, secondary educational act, E-S-E-A act. That's the policy. But later, you know, we heard, we saw that even though we have a policy, we have legislation that says we have to have public schools. It doesn't mean that public schools are equal. So you would go through all the legislation and all the trials and everything. You got Brown versus the Board of Education. So you, we start looking at all the differences and the inequities through the years. Title I funds later came. And when Title I funds came, they said that these monies are for those schools where those students have been identified as being at risk and low income. So if I have federal funds in my school, in my state, let's start with the state, in my state, the state then has the power then to distribute the funds to those school districts. So a school district with about 10,000 students, they are good to get maybe 10, 11 million dollars for their for their for their district. OK, well, that 10, 11 million dollars that the local district has to bring about parents and administrators and staff members to put together a plan for that school district on how to use those funds. So every district that has Title I funds, they have to utilize a a, a uh, planning committee to decide on how those funds will be distributed. Typically, the administration makes a recommendation. They share it with the parents. The parents give feedback and teachers, and they may tweak it a little bit. And that's, and that's acceptable, and that's a very normal practice. So that's typically what happens. But you can look at those state plans. Texas has a plan. Every state has a plan. There are resources out there that will let you know. I looked just um, yesterday or the day before. One of the pieces of the Title I and the ESSA legislation says that there has to be efforts in every state toward um, recruiting more minority teachers in those minority majority areas. And they were saying that there are probably in public schools in the nation, 42% of the national student population in public schools 
are black and brown children. But the teaching is less than 15%. And so we've got to move that needle. There's research that indicates even if you, if you are a, a student, if you are a black male, if you have had a black male, if you've had a black teacher, female or male by the third grade, that that increases your chances by 50% just to go to college, not even graduate from college. But by third grade, if you've had a black teacher, then you've increased your chances to go to college by 50%. It's powerful. And we know what that means to have someone that looks like you in your classrooms. And so the, the federal policy required every state to come up with a diversity plan on diversifying the, the classroom um, staff. So that's the financial part. That's the diversity part. And that's the inequity part, if that makes any sense. That was spectacular. So <laughs> much great information because that's what we don't have a lot. We see stuff in the works and we see things after the fact, but the how it got to that place. Mm -hmm. Like you've just given us an empowerment to know that there's a planning committee. Yes. So if I am interested in figuring out some stuff, I can speak to my administrator, which you did mm -hmm. earlier recommend the first step is that person who's over that building. Let mm -hmm. that be your first step before mm -hmm. you have to go elsewhere to get whatever information you need. Mm -hmm. So they can check into that. Now, because we have a lot of terms that we use, we may not use in everyday terms. Mm -hmm. So when you mention efficacious, can mm -hmm. you give us what that means yes. in layman's term? Efficacious is like the root word, um, effective. And so, so when we talk about being efficacious, we, we're talking about being effective. And there's so much work to do in our communities that we can't work on one and not the other. You know, we have to become nimble and we've got to be flexible and we've got to be uh, balanced enough to where we can deal with teacher professional development and teacher efficacy at the same time while we're dealing over here with academic instruction, while we're dealing with culture back here in the back. You know, you have to be able to, to juggle all of those. And teacher efficacy, there's a lot of research around teacher efficacy. When teachers believe in themselves and they see that they are performing, that their students are performing, you will be surprised. That becomes, it becomes uh, uh, empowering. It becomes motivation. It becomes inspirational. People want to come to work. When you're winning, people want to go to work. The Cowboys are winning. We want to watch them. We're inspired. We're motivated. Like a teacher, like, you know, I, I, I look at uh, and my daughter. My daughter's a teacher. And so my daughter is, she is doing so well. She, with her, you know, she's a math teacher. And her students are performing so well. She's performing, outperforming her campus. She's outperforming in the district. People are coming, looking at her, trying to see what she's doing. That makes her want to go to work more. When you are winning, that is self-motivating and that is being efficacious. But again, you've got to be nimble enough to know that you got to build toward that. One of the things you mentioned earlier was make sure you do your homework. Ugh. Can you speak on the importance of doing the homework yes. and what could happen as a result of not doing the homework? 
Okay, let's talk from a parent perspective. I'm a parent, and I've been at the Girl Scout meeting, and Miss Jones then told me that this is a low-performance school, and I thought this was a quality school. You know, this is why we built our home over here. Which this woman told me it's a low-performance school. Okay, every school is required to post their academic, their student academic progress on the website. If you don't see it on the school's website, look at the district. If you don't see the district, then you can go to the Texas Education Agency and you can pull up the school and the campus academic performance from the last, I think it goes back 10 years maybe. Know for yourself how that school is performing. Don't let a realtor tell you. Don't let a neighbor tell you. Don't let another teacher in the building tell you. Know for yourself. We found out that even in our school district, we had teachers that worked in the district, but they would tell parents, don't bring your kids to the school. Don't bring your kids to this district. Absolutely, they will do that. And you have to understand, everybody's not happy. So sometimes you got to fight from within. And you got to build from within. You got to help people feel like they are a part. Some people feel disenfranchised. They don't feel like like they're like they are uh, participating. And so you got to bring those people in. So as a parent, do your homework. If you don't have anyone to go to, I would say go to the principal. If you can't find the information, it's supposed to be in the office. There should be a hard copy either in the library or in the office of the student academic performance. Okay. And find out for yourself. You can know the strengths and weaknesses of the school. Observe for yourself. Go in classrooms. I can tell you there, there is not a perfect school. There is not a perfect teacher. And even when you think you found the perfect school, you had a great year this year, next year you may not have a good year. Or you, the, the six teachers that your kid has, two of them not, may not be great. That's okay. But that's building resilience. You know, I'm not saying allow a teacher to be um, disrespectful and harm your child. But at the same time, we as parents, we build so many bubbles around children. We don't allow, we don't allow life's progression to occur, natural progression, that, that fallacy of perfection of the teacher and the fallacy, the perfection of the child continues. So at some point, t- parents have to take the responsibility to know about the school, learn about the school, and also entrust the school, entrust the process. Thank you so much on that homework, because that is a big a big piece. When you were working at a national level and you had the opportunity to impact and mentor and support teachers from across the nation, mm-hmm. are there any things that stick out to you that may have been similarities or just first of all, you might want to bring to our attention. First of all, it's just love. Let me tell you about how much I love teachers. I love education. You know, everything comes out. Every career, everybody comes. Everything comes out of education. I love this career. There are so many different opportunities within education. That's the first thing: is the love that I have and the passion that I have for education. Number two is, I saw teachers who signed up for this just to get the trip. Because, I mean, who wouldn't want to fly to Orlando, Florida for a weekend? You know, all, you know, hotel, you know, all your food paid for, you know, who wouldn't want to do that? But at the same time, they were challenged, they were invigorated, 
They were motivated to go back to be better than they were. That tells me it's never too late, not even for students. It's never too late. We can't give up on children. We can't give up on educators. The third thing I would say is that teachers innately want to do, want children to learn. They want to do what's right. So I guess that's really part of number two is that they want children to learn. And when they have the tools, they want, they want to win. They want to be successful. And when we put them in the right environment with the right tools, they can be successful. Then the last thing I'll say is that what we do every day in classroom is just short of miracles. There are teachers across this planet performing miracles every single day. Miracles in these classrooms. Miracles with these children. Miracles with these parents, with these families. We are more than teachers. We are more than educators. We have come to save the planet. We are freaking superheroes. When you listen to the stories that teachers are doing every day, feeding kids and combing hair and taking kids to recitals and sewing uniforms. I mean, you know, it's just amazing. We are truly superheroes. So um, I'm thrilled. I'm proud to be an educator. I would never shun from that. I would never shun from saying I'm a teacher. Because I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about it. My mom was a teacher. My sister is a teacher. My dad was a teacher in the military. My daughter's a teacher. Uh, my aunt was a teacher. My uncles, my aunts, my aunt, my cousins are teachers. I come from an education background. And, uh, and it's just a blessing to, to say I'm just one in the many. Well, thank you. Now, what you shared with us today is really just a tip of the way that you make sure that we're empowered, that we're knowledgeable, that we're able to be prepared when we have those critical conversations. What do you have coming up? And also, please share how we can connect with you so that we can participate in what you have coming up. Right. Um, Higher Levels Education Group, you can go to the website, thehighlevels.com and there's a tab there for executive mentoring uh, when you go to executive mentoring you'll see information there about we're getting ready to start our spring group our spring class and with the spring class uh, I will take in mentees I try the last group I, I did, I'm not taking more than 10 because I really want to give you the quality time and attention that you need I'm going to nurture I'm going to groom I'm going to hold your feet to the fire, (laughs) but I'm going to make sure that whatever your goal is, that you rise to the occasion and that you're going to be successful. Whatever your dream is, whatever challenges that you are going through, that frustration, you know, mentoring is different from consulting or from coaching. Oftentimes when you, when you work with a coach, they haven't been in your shoes. Executive mentoring is from someone who's been in your shoes. Or if they haven't been there, then they're going to get access to someone who has. And that's what I do. I ensure that I bring a wealth of knowledge to you. I bring you that support. And again, that nurturing. I'm going to prod you. I'm going to push you and I'm going to challenge you. But ultimately, we're going to ensure that that, that you reach your goal. Okay, wonderful. And so I will have this in the show notes making sure everyone did get that website, the 
higherlevels.com. Yes. And then you said for us to click on the executive mentoring. Executive mentoring link. Okay. The deadline is going to be March the 1st. Okay. There is a questionnaire. If you're interested, complete the questionnaire. And um, um, the deadline is going to be March the 1st. Okay. I'll be sure to get that. Well, before we wrap up, I have some questions that I like to ask every guest. These are three questions. The first question is, what advice would you give to new teachers? Don't quit. Thank you. (laughs) The next question is, when you look back over your time as as a teacher, Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me, over your time as a student, I'm talking from elementary level student, mm-hmm. middle school, junior high level student, and high school student. Mm-hmm. Think for a moment, what are some things that you recall used to be done that aren't done now that you would think if we brought those things back, it would be a positive? Hmm. Well, first, I would say, you know, I, my, I grew up in, the, in a military family, so we traveled. But there were times that we were in Dallas. And those times I had um, teachers that looked like me. And when we were in California, I had teachers that did not look like me, didn't know anything about me. We were in a majority Anglo environment. And I remember my second grade teachers who's now my Sarah, uh, Bessie Moody, and Vivian Taylor. Miss Taylor's not a Sarah, but her daughter is. Um, but uh, Vivian Taylor and Bessie Moody were my second grade teachers. And if I tell you what those ladies did, did, did for me, I was, a, I was a smart girl, and I knew I was smart, and, but they polished me. And they didn't give up on me and they challenged me because by the time I got to second grade, I was I could have probably been in fourth or fifth grade. And it was a little group of us. And we were we were some smart little kids. And she always she talks about that. And she said, Y'all were the smartest little kids I had. We were so smart. And so, but we loved school. So we were smart, but we weren't bad. And so she would still try to find things to challenge us. And so I saw that when someone sees something in you. They take the time and they build in you and they try to foster your uh, your passion. They foster whatever you're you are, uh, whatever you are passionate about, whatever my interests are. They try to include my interests. And so I saw those two ladies do that for me. And when I left and not only that, the personal care that they gave us when I left that school, I was in tears because I was leaving like a home away from home and. My teacher wrote me. I was gone for five years and she wrote me and she wrote me for five years. We were pen pals and we I didn't do a do a letter every month, maybe about every three, four months. I would send her a little note. She sent me a note. But we did that back and forth for five years. She never gave up. Every time I moved, this is my new address. <laughs> and she just would not give up. I mean, she would just still write me back. How are you doing? How is school? You know, those types of things. So when I think about the things that happened 
for me, for me, as I was a child, would be the relationship that that was developed between myself and my teacher. I know that every child has a special teacher, um, and I and I applaud that. But I really wish we could have more special teachers every year. I re- I really wish that it wouldn't be. What is your who was your favorite teacher or who was a special teacher? I wish they could have that experience more often and wider. Um, another thing I would say is um, when I was in school, we really um, focused on um, being more well-rounded. Um, it was important to have the academics, but it was also important to, to know etiquette. It was important to learn to swim. It was important to 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 you know be to be physical. Didn't mean you were going to compete, but know how. But be physical and be healthy. Um, that is a difference from California and Texas schools. California schools really take your interest, health. They are probably the the most well rounded schools I've ever seen. Uh, some parts of Miami, Florida, and and California. So I would like to see that in schools to where the focus isn't just on star testing, but we can look at ensuring that high school kids, if they know how to change a tire, that they know how to change a light bulb, that they can handwrite a letter and mail it. They know how to go to the post office and purchase a stamp. You know, things like that, some real life skills. And so... um, those are some things that I wish we could bring back to schools. Thank you. And the last question I asked the guest is, this covers any genre. What book recommendation do you have? Any genre? Hmm. One book. Wow. If more than one comes to mind, please share. Okay. Uh, what is it called? It's a letter to my son's Marion um, Edelman uh, has a book. Marion Wright Edelman has a book, and it's called just a second. A letter. Where is her book? There it is. The measure of our success. I'm sorry. The measure of, of our success. And it's called A Letter to My Sons. Um, that's the book that I would recommend. The okay. Measure of Our Success by Marion Wright Edelman. Thank you. Well, this was awesome. Thank Yay. you for being here. Thank you for empowering us with all those very important clues and hints and get this done so that you can be an advocate for your child, an advocate for your students, an advocate for your community school. So thank you. We definitely will be looking forward to having you back as a guest. Mm-hmm. And we'll definitely be wanting to make sure that we get the word out so that people can meet that March 1st deadline to mm-hmm. be part of your next mentoring group. Thank okay. you so much. And if you have any words you'd like to share as we exit please do yeah i think that that you summed it up but i'll sum it up as well i think that um the work that i've done with um dtech has been around advocacy and we worked in town halls 
Um, we had 40 town halls across the country. And the research, myself and Dr. Moore out of um, Orange, California, she and I did the research on those town halls and uh, talked about um, the importance of advocacy, the importance of, of community uh, participation in our public schools. And that's from PTA participation to school board participation. But um, she and I work together on that. And that is important that the community get involved. We can't expect our schools to be successful without community involvement, without parent involvement, and then, of course, teacher involvement. And so and we want the teachers to advocate for themselves. You need something for your classroom? Don't stop asking. Be relentless. Go to the local bank. Go to lens crafters, whatever. Everybody has something to give. Don't give up. And like, like you said, those new teachers don't quit. Well, thank you so much, Miss Levels. And thank you all for listening in to today's episode of The Educator's View, where educators tell it like it is from the lens of keeping it real. <laughs> <laughs>